and now we have the joy of hearing from Peter Evis. Not only a wonderful chap, he is also a board member around here. So please join me in welcoming Peter. Uh, good morning to everybody. Welcome to the river. Thanks for um, being here to listen to this talk. Let me just get this higher. Um, I, like, I like Sarah's introduction. It sort of was code for this guy's not really on star. So, like, you know, you know, if he says anything totally crazy, you know, you can sort of just be safely assured that he's actually not the official voice of the church. Yeah. Is that what you meant, Sarah? Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, this pumpkin thing has gone a little bit too far, hasn't it? Don't you think that's like, I mean, I mean, who actually likes this pumpkin craze? I mean, you do? So put your hands off if you actually like pumpkin spice lattes. Yeah, see, it's not that many people, right? Okay. What about pumpkin spiced beer? It, it exists. Pumpkin muffins? Ah, oh, you see that? Yeah, that's, what, that, that, that's a legit pumpkin thing. Pumpkin shaving foam? Does that, does that, <laughs> I don't know if that exists. Anyway, just for people who don't know me, um, uh, I've, I've been a member of the river for like, uh, I don't know, like 11, 12 years. And, uh, I, I, I have a day job. I'm a reporter at the New York Times. I cover business, finance, trade, everything that's going on right now. So I'm extremely busy. Um, but I always like to take a chance to uh, give the talk on a Sunday, and I particularly wanted to do it um, because uh, we have this great um, sermon series going on called The Power of the Holy Spirit in Ordinary Time. And what I particularly liked about these talks, mostly given by you know, Sarah and Caroline so far, is that they have been uh, very observational in nature. So what I've noticed as I've been sitting here taking them in is the speakers have looked at what the Holy Spirit's actually been doing in their lives and then describe that to us, which is always fascinating, and then they've kind of expanded on it and gone deeper and, you know, t given us some Bible verses and a sprinkling of theology, and it's been great. And one of the slides that's really stuck in my mind is this one, okay? It's one that shows the, um, uh, you know, God moving out of the very center of the temple and going everywhere to everybody. That's sort of like the, the you know, the linchpin, the, what you, the cornerstone um, of this whole sermon series is, um, is, is the Holy Spirit just breaking out and going wherever um, um, God wants to go to bring his love. And we get this from, you know, from the Gospels. This is Matthew's Gospel. On that particular moment, it says, then Jesus, it happened at the time Jesus died. Then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart. And from that point, God is breaking out to reach all people. And Jesus said, you know, many times in all his sort of, uh, you know, in his preaching and his stories and his parables, you know, the picture he gave was that the kingdom of God would be a very inclusive place. And the early church made sure that it was. You know, the first big change that they launched into was that Gentiles, that means non-Jews, you know, people like Roman soldiers, you know, or, you know, Greek carpenters, whoever, would now be fully included in what God was up to. And so if you read on in the Bible, you know, you see God overcoming ethnic and religious barriers to offer the abundant life um, in Jesus to everybody. And that move has never stopped, okay? Um, God is eager to connect with all people, and, um, and that desire to give everybody equal access to Jesus has at times, and certainly not always, motivated Christians to stand up for excluded and subjugated people. 
Um, but all the time, the Holy Spirit is working inside of us to sort of break down some of the psychological barriers we have that stop us from reaching out. And you see, one of the, the, the frequent problems with religion is that once people deeply believe in something, they expect, you know, very strict conformity from others who share these beliefs. And that's what we've often called around here the bounded set approach, okay? The bounded set, you've seen this before, I'm sure, uh, defines itself primarily through compliance to a set of rules. And those rules delineate very clearly who's in and who's out, who has a stronger faith and who has a weaker one, who has a purer faith and who has a less one, who is more righteous, who's done more for the group, who's really put in the effort, and I tell you what, it's exhausting, okay? Um, I just have never been able to do it, and um, never will. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, every, every organization has to have some sort of agreed upon values, goals, missions, some rules. You know, I can't show up in my newsroom tomorrow and say, I'm going to write about fashion. Right? I'd be really good at it, you know, but um, wouldn't I? Um, and, but it's not going to happen. Like, you know, somebody here who's, you know, trades stocks is not going to show up at Goldman Sachs tomorrow and start trading bonds, right? Or maybe anyone could do that. You just can't do that. So there's a certain sort of agreed upon goals and everything. Um, but, you know, it's it's a question of how you pursue these things, right? Now, the, the real problem with banded sets is they often exclude certain types of people from full, ta- full participation, even if they fully share the group's goals and values. So in many churches, you know, women cannot be in leadership even if they totally buy into the central theology of that church. It's because you're a woman, you can't, you know, even if you believe, you can't do it. You know, in some churches, gay people can't get married even if they have a strong faith in Jesus. And so what's the alternative to that? It's what we call the centered set, okay? This is the centered set slide. And this approach to life, as many of you know, puts the focus on Jesus. It doesn't put the focus on the walls and the rules of the organization. And the key distinction is here is whether or not us, we, in our lives, are trying to connect with Jesus on a day-to-day basis. Now, you know, put really simply, you know, if someone's been a believer for just one week and that person is enthusiastically connecting with Jesus, they're actually in a better place spiritually than someone who's been following for Jesus for 30 years and can't really be bothered to connect with God. If you boil it down, that's kind of what centered set is. And this is great because it means you don't have to rely on all the institutional rules and structures to determine your standing in the church. Um, you know, those never really worked, and they can restrict access to people who really buy in, as we've seen. Um, and so what we want to do in a, in a faith community like this at the river is to focus on the thing that really drives faith, and that's our connection with God. Okay? A centered set church says, look, let's have fun with that connection. Let's see where it takes us. Let's, let's have that adventure today. And so that's what we're all about here. And I wanted to take, make that little detour right there because it, 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 I wanted to sort of like, you know, remind us of who helps us do the connecting. It's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's who we're looking at in this sermon series. And, and, and the Holy Spirit's been doing that um, ever since God broke out of the temple. Okay? Uh, the Holy Spirit is our, like, everyday friend. Okay? Um, the Holy Spirit inspires us, informs us, and exerts, um, you know, her power. We're calling the Holy Spirit she in these talks to remind us that God is both male and female. Um, and, and she's here now. So let's just say welcome to the Holy Spirit. Okay, welcome Holy Spirit. Okay, thank you for being here. Um, and, you know, 
We, we see God reaching out in many places around the Bible, and it happens all over the place. It happens even in the Old Testament. I mean, it's kind of sometimes confusing to split things up between New and Old Testament. And, um, you know, just as we're still getting ready for the real core of this sermon, I, w- I wanted to mention something that I stumbled upon, um, like, this last week, and I, I just sort of... Um, just, it just sort of sums up kind of the nature of God and our relationship with God. So just as we're getting ready for the, for the big part of the sermon, I wanted to, to um, look at this thing, that, that, that uh, this conversation between God and Moses, because it really sort of puts the right frame of mind as we, go, as we go forward. It says this, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you, know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Okay? I love the sort of slightly complainy tone of Moses there. He's like, come on, I need some help. And like, God's, yeah, sure, I'm going to go with you. And I think that just... I just want, I want that sort of to sit in your mind as we go forward, because that's what it can be like. We can be really honest with God. We can sort of just say everything that's on our hearts and say, invite him to, to help us with those things, okay? So that's, that's possible. That's doable. It's there. It's even in the Old Testament. So I want to look at a basic need that we all have and how the Holy Spirit helps us meet that need. And that basic need is, is, the, is having the time to think things through, Okay? Um, we need time, solid amounts of time to think things through in our lives. And like I said earlier, this sermon series has been observational, I think. And if I look at my life today like I did in getting ready for this sermon, one thing I don't like about my life right now is that I'm thinking too quickly. You know, I have a lot of thoughts, but the franticness of my life and my tendency, my tendency, my personal tendency to always assume that I'm right <laughs> means that I don't slow down and I don't give enough deep thought to the things that are happening. And what I've found out over time is this makes me anxious. It makes me much less satisfied with life. It's not good for my relationships and it doesn't help me at work. And, and what I need, what I need to do is to work out a way with God to find more space, to contemplate, to put things in perspective, to explore things more independently, to, you know, simply appreciate the lovely things around me and to wait for whatever message those things may be sending me. And so today I wanted to spend some time, real time, looking at how the Holy Spirit can create this thinking time, this contemplation period. And I, I know that the, 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 the title of this sermon series is the Holy Spirit uh, working in ordinary time. But to do this today, I wanted to look at an extraordinary situation. Okay, It's, it's described in a Bible story that, that looks at a pivotal change in the life of a man called Saul. Okay, Now Saul saw it as his job. He was later called Paul, just in case uh, you're wondering who he is. He saw it as his job when we, when we come across this passage, um, as his job to hunt down and persecute early Christians um, who were collectively known as the Way. And I mention that because you'll see the Way in... Um, in this passage. And Saul wanted to go after them because he believed the early Christians were a threat to his ultra-bounded set approach to religion. 
Um, and just to put the passage in some more context, this takes place, you know, not that long after the Holy Spirit had broken out of the temple, okay? So these early Christians had understood what God was up to through Jesus, and they were going around telling people about the abundant life that Christ offered. Um, but the opponents of Jesus, uh, and Jesus' followers, people like Saul, wanted to frustrate the way and, in effect, put the Holy Spirit back in a box, Right? That's kind of what they wanted to do, is to bring back the banded set framework to all religion. But as we shall see, God was not having any of this. He challenged Saul. He told him to stop. And what's important for us today, I want us to really take note as we go through this passage, is how God created some very special time and space for Saul to reassess what he was doing, okay? What we're going to look for today is how Jesus creates the conditions for Saul to wake up and get off his destructive path. So let's read the passage. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus called Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus called Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But, Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Okay? So as you can see as we go into this passage, Paul's extreme bounded set mentality had not left him in a very contemplative state, right? All he wanted to do was just round these people up. He kind of had a hunter's mindset on. Um, uh, You know, the text tells us that he was uttering threats with every breath. And so if you think about Saul being like that, it's no surprise really that Jesus' intervention takes the form it does. It's a very, it's a very special intervention, and I think it's necessary uh, to get through to Saul and, you know, and, and, his, and his very aggressive mindset. And I, I wanted to break down the passage a bit. And I wanted to first look at this, this bit here, this one that says, Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes... 
He, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now, isn't that sort of interesting? I mean, First of all, God makes it so that Saul has to rely on other people. No longer is he the lone wolf going out, rounding up these bad Christians. He's now completely dependent on people around. He's kind of helpless, right? So he's been sort of his, a lot of his anger would have been diffused like that potentially. He also removes his sight. And he has to remove his sight, I think, so that he can properly see Jesus, And I think that God's intent here is really clear, is that Saul needs to have a fundamental rethink about his life and his beliefs. And so Jesus creates this zone, this this time, this period, uh, in such a way that Saul can't do much but focus on what he must focus on, which is this big shift that's going to happen. And uh, I just think it's, it's, it's really interesting the way that, 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 that God approaches it. And so what was going on during that time? We actually don't have to guess because in verse 11, Jesus tells Ananias what Saul is doing. It says, the Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. So you can imagine Jesus being like, okay, Saul's praying to me and I'm talking to Ananias and millions of other people around the world, of course. But like, it's kind of a cool picture that you see this going on. You know what I mean? And, um, and, and, and it's, 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 again, it's a really fascinating, uh, insight we get here, um, is that, is that Saul is like praying away to Jesus in this house. And, um, no doubt he's trying to resolve all these things that are, that have been going on in his life. Maybe all the stuff that made him into such a sort of of angry, you know, person that wants to go and round up all these Christians, and he's probably hashing it out right now with Jesus, you know, and it's just a wonderful, raw kind of picture of what's going on in that room. And then we see that that three-day period come to an end here. It says this, instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Um, Now, it's safe to let Saul see again, right? He can see. He can like reconnect with the world around him and um, with his fresh views. And, um, and, 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 and I love how God uses Ananias to, to free Saul. He brings this person who he would have been hunting down before to be the one that, you know, prays for him and, and, and the scales fall from his eyes. And what is the first thing that Saul does? He gets baptized, right? That's just wonderful. I mean, he, even before eating, which is probably what I would have done, he decides to go get baptized. Um, and that declares his faith in Jesus publicly, of course. And it's just a wonderful moment, okay? Um, and now he has this new life where he's just, you know, pursuing Jesus, and he's going to go everywhere, kings, Gentiles, even his own people, and he's given up the life of persecution. Now, I I doubt that we have a high-stakes situation like this going on in our lives uh, right now, but the offer remains, okay? God is always willing to create special time and space in our lives, no matter what we're going through, no matter how hectic your week is, no matter how crazy your family life is, to think things over with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Let me say that again. No matter how hectic your life is, no matter how crazy things are in your family, no matter how anxious you are about something, God is always willing to create time and space for you to connect with him and really think things over. Okay? That is something that he will never stop doing, right?
Okay. So why is that kind of important for us right now, and how does it happen? Now, I think the first thing is that it helps us remain thoughtful and fair-minded in a charged atmosphere. Next slide, please. Um, and, you know, I don't know if it's just me, but my perception is that we are living in angry, fighty, often vicious times right now, yeah? There's a lot of stuff going on on social media which just amps things up. And it's a really good thing if we, as Christians, can remain fair and judicious about our reactions, especially when there's some sort of heated discussion happening. Um, and I know how hard that is. I mean, people are infuriating, right? They say the most, you know, really nastiest things. Um, uh, but if we want to enter into these debates, we cannot do that in such a way that we end up feeling contempt for other people. Okay, that just is a line we can't cross, I feel. And so, you know, we need the Holy Spirit's help with that. And, you know, social media makes things even harder because it, it, I find that it sucks away my contemplation time. You know, just the amount of time we spend on it just means we have less time to, you know, be more relaxed and more thoughtful and more generous with our thinking. And it, it does that. I, I, you know, you can see it. I mean, I recently upgraded my phone and for some reason it now puts up a window at the end of every week showing how much time I've been on my phone. It's horrifying. <laughs> it has a percentage change. One week it was up 44%. My wife is writing that down right now. Yeah. No, um, can, we get to, can we get that to 32%, honey? Yeah. Um, hopefully it will go down eventually. Um, I guess it has to because you would be on like your phone all day, right? No, but, um, but like Maybe get that app. Maybe put that. I don't know where it came from. I think Apple just puts it there now. But like, I'm sure there's an app if you if you wanted to do that. Um, but it's it's hard to stay thoughtful and fair-minded. Um, but but we all know that life is more enjoyable when we're like that. We're more relaxed. We're more optimistic. Our relationships are better. There, there are all these immediate dividends. Um, but we need God's help. You know, the 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 one of the terrible things about the human race is that we have this this urge in us to take sides, do you know what I mean? To really take sides and, and often sort of make the other person out to be the enemy. And Jesus gives us the chance to be humane, to be fair, to resist the urge to dehumanize. You know, I think he, he, that's one of the special things he offers us, right? That ability to just disconnect from that urge. And uh, a lot of people in the, the Blue Ocean Network of churches, which we're part of, have been talking a lot recently about a Christian philosopher and Stanford professor who's now dead called René Girard. And he, he noticed something very interesting. He said, looking back at history, um, deep tensions exist in society. And one way that big groups of people deal with these tensions is to focus on some perceived threat. And so if there's this external threat, if me and you can bond over this external threat, some of the tensions between me and you will go away, at least for a time. And often that threat is, is perceived to come from a single person or usually a minority group. And so what happens is the majority then singles out that person or the minority and then pursues them with some sort of punishment or shaming or, or some sort of penalty. And that's called scapegoating. You know, Saul was scapegoating the Christians. It's a very clear example of what I'm talking about. You know, there was all these tensions probably between Saul and his, you know, and his, and, and, and his fellow acolytes and, and they, you know, and that probably propelled him to try and stamp out the opposition. 
And, you know, minorities often become scapegoats for majorities and, and who view them as a threat, and that's happening all the way, all around the world right now in, in, in lots of terrible ways. And, and, and in like, you know, in our lives, uh, it, it happens a lot on social media again. People are getting victimized all the time, you know. I was reading an article in The Atlantic that came out this week about Instagram, which was once known as the nicest place on the Internet. And um, it's now being used to constantly harass other people. Um, this is from the article in The Atlantic. It said this, Sarah, a Montreal-based woman who runs the feminist Instagram account, Do You Consider Yourself a Feminist?, said, There's not a day that goes by without death threats, rape threats, insults. She said she flags the harassment, but most of the time you get a report saying they don't violate anything. So it's serious. This stuff is serious. These words actually have power. You know, um, even if we never see the faces of the people who make them. And, you know, we may not be the sort of people that go onto social media and do that sort of stupid stuff, but we as people also hanger, harbor lots of anger and suspicion and kind of like derision towards other people. And, and you know, and Jesus told us that also matters. If that's in your heart, we have to do something about it. It gets corrosive over time. But one of Girard's breakthrough insights, which I love, was that Jesus was the scapegoat who has the power to heal us of the scapegoating urge, right? Faith in Jesus can actually short-circuit that urge that we have to find a perceived threat and pursue it, to victimize other people. Um, we know that from what we've seen today. When, when, when Jesus died the scapegoat's death on the cross, at the moment he died, the Holy Spirit was released to bring God's love to everybody. And we saw Jesus do that right in front of our eyes with Saul. And he can do that same thing very powerfully in ordinary time with any person who is willing to enter into it. And so the Holy Spirit does create this time and space for us to carefully think through. We, we should ask him to come and help us weigh both sides. You know, come and check my prejudices. Come and check my priors, okay? Stop me devaluing, denigrating other people. Even in my mind, just stop me going there, please, Jesus. That's the sort of prayer we can pray and invite Holy Spirit into that, okay? And I, I can tell you, life will be a lot more enjoyable when we do that regularly, Okay? So here's a second big reason why you might want to take time to think things over with the Holy Spirit, okay? It helps us address, not ignore, the big shifts that may be going on inside us, okay? So what do I mean by a big shift in this context, okay? So it may be something with your job or your family, you know, and this big sort of change. You can't tell quite what it is, but you know something's happening. You know something's afoot, and you, you know, and you start to think, maybe I need to start making some changes um, I don't know, maybe you've been doing consulting for like five years and like you're starting to feel like it's not for you, you know, uh, and it's so that feeling hasn't gone away for like a few months, you know, and so you start to wonder what you should do next. Or maybe it's something in your parenting style. You're like, you know what, I've been doing this with my son and he hasn't responded, um, but I don't know what to do next. And then you kind of have this sort of, you know, kind of stirring, I would call it, like, I need to go get help, or I need to do something differently. Um, and sometimes you'll, you know, we will go and seek out help, we'll chat with people, we'll pray to God, and there'll be a great resolution, and things will be fantastic, and you'll move on. But other times, we might ignore the stirrings, or not give them enough attention. You know, perhaps because they make us feel uncomfortable about ourselves, or we fear they'll lead to even more uncertainty in our lives. 
But here's the thing, guys. Those stirrings probably aren't going to go away even if you ignore them, okay? Sometimes we have to grapple with them and, you know, even if we're not certain where we're going to end up, okay? And that's why we need quality time to think with the Holy Spirit, okay? Bounded set religion is scared. It's petrified of change. So it leads to the suppression of thought. But the centered set faith takes that fear, because the fear isn't going to go anywhere either. We can't pretend we're not afraid. Takes it to God and says, look, I'm afraid. Can you help me with this? I'm willing to go where I need to go, God. Please take me by the hand. Kind of like what Moses was doing in our passage. Just like, and God will obviously respond, my presence is always with you. Right? But even then, even when that happens, okay, because you know, like, this is still not straightforward, okay, as I discovered recently. Um, I, I've been leading prayer team for like 11 years, and, you know, I like doing it. I love praying for people. It's exhilarating when I get, get on the subway home after praying for people. I feel like I have the best life ever. And, and, and I totally believe in the thrust and the aim of the ministry that, that I'm part of. And, and so, like, you know, sometimes, like, you know, after you get a little bored of it when you're, like, you know, doing it for 11 years or a little, you know, you sort of think, no, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it because I love it because, you know, I do, right? But, but, but recently, in the last year or so, something else was going on, and it took some time for me to work out what it was. And I didn't want to, like, delve into it because I was kind of frightened where it might take me, but I sort of tried anyway, and I sort of am in a place now I'm willing to share. Um, and, and it's to do with this tension that exists in all ministries, okay? If you run a ministry in a church, you know, you know this. You'll be familiar with this. You know, you kind of have this goal that you think is from God and is from God. And as you set out to achieve that goal, you often fall short in some way. And there's nothing wrong with that because we're not perfect. We're not going to always, you know, achieve everything we want to achieve. And we have the theology to explain it. You know, God is breaking in, but he's not fully broken in. Um, and we keep praying and everything and we find in the end, right? Well, yes, but, you know, I could live with that for a very long time, but I wanted more. I felt like I needed more, or it wasn't enough in some ways. And and what I realized is I wasn't fully processing or giving, taking seriously um, the disappointments that I felt on prayer team, you know, like the things that didn't get healed. And so on the one hand, I really loved praying for it, but I also realized that I needed to spend more time working out what's going on with that sense of disappointment. So those stirrings combined with the fact that I'd been doing it for so long, plus like, um, you know, a lot of sort of very difficult things have happened in my family recently, sort of prompted me to sort of let people know that I'd be stepping down as the leader of prayer team, right? So I'll still be on the team if people want me there. Um, and it's going to be in capable hands. Uh, but I mentioned this from the front, partly because I know a lot of you like prayer team and you're wondering why it hasn't been operating so much recently. It's still here. It's still going to happen. We have a plan. Um, but I also wanted to highlight my thought process um, to show you like, how important it is not to ignore those urges, to, to tap into them, to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to help us think these things through because we don't know where they're going to take us and we shouldn't be afraid about you know, going down that path with the Holy Spirit. I think, in the end, only good can, can come from that. Okay? So, right? So, um, those are two things, two reasons why we should, you know, um, you know, invite the Holy Spirit. And I have a couple of practical suggestions just to finish up. Um, we always have practical suggestions at the end of our sermons. Uh, and number one is, you know, create space in your meetings and gatherings for the voices that often get cut off. Okay? Don't, don't you love Ananias in this passage? Don't you think he's great? 
I just love that guy. He's like, I don't want to do this. This guy's a murderer. You're not sending me into that room. And he's like, no, you're going to that room. So he ends up going to that room. Um, and what I like about it is, is that Ananias is, is, is a new voice for Saul, okay? He has to listen to somebody he wouldn't have listened to before. And Ananias is such a nice voice. Do you see what he calls Saul when he starts to pray for him? He calls him Brother Saul. He could have just been like, Saul of Tarsus? No, he's like, no, Brother Saul. And then he prays for the scales to be uh, removed from his eyes. And it's just a wonderful sort of brotherhood moment that I, that I love. And, and I think the lesson for us is to keep including voices that we might not normally hear. Okay, give people a hearing if we don't normally hear it for them. And that means that, you know, as people, we have to sort of adjust maybe at work how we do meetings, the style of the meeting, who gets to speak. You know, are there ways we can help others speak who don't often speak? Okay, everybody has to have a chance to speak because it's actually going to make things a lot better. And, you know, one of the things I've, I've, I've noticed at work that happens a lot more, there's a lot more like women in the newsroom these days. And so meetings are very different. They're much better. Okay, and uh, one one of the things I've really liked about about the river is how often we have women speakers. I mean, I've chatted with Carolyn and Sarah about many things over the years, and I kind of know what they think about most stuff. And you know, but as but as women, you know, speaking from the pulpit, they they often bring perspectives um, or a way of saying something that is revelatory for me. Um, as a man, I, I just really value that. And I think that's sort of a, another indication of like how we have to expand who, who gets to have a voice, okay? So let's try and keep our, our meetings and gatherings fair and open, okay? And the second practical tip is this. Try spot fasting, okay? In our passage, Saul goes without food for three days. It's a big part of his rethink. Now, I, I have never heard a so what I consider a satisfactory explanation for fasting. I think there's some mystery in it. Maybe it's just me. I, I can't I can't understand why anyone would give up something like food. So maybe um, that's why I, I can't ever really understand the theological explanations. Um, um, I don't fast very often, but I have noticed that when I do, you know, once the you know the misery of self-denial lifts. Um, <laughs> I do somehow have more space in my head for my thoughts. You know, it's happened very powerfully, like um, in the last, no, the one, not this last 40 days of faith, but the one before that. And I was like, yes, that's what fasting is for. And it was a very powerful time for me. And so if you're feeling under pressure and you need time for contemplation, you need to sort of create some space for the Holy Spirit, I would suggest giving up something important for a short period. It can really help. Okay, so that's it. Can I just um, just pray for us to have um, a time with the Holy Spirit now where we think about what we might need space for, uh, for a rethink in our life. Is that okay? Okay. So I'm just going to pray a few sentences and then I'm just going to have a, like a little time, 30 seconds of silence. So you can just focus that way. So Jesus, we, we, we thank you. Um, like that that you want to be so deeply involved in our lives that you actually have the power, Holy Spirit, to create that space, to come in and to talk to us. But I, I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would turn the lens in such a way that we would have a better focus of what we need to really come to you with. Things that might 
be bugging us, things we haven't fully worked out, things that we need to think about deeply. And we invite you to come and speak to us. In Jesus' name. So just take like 30 seconds now.